0: Consumers today are seeking cleaner labels, convenience, and value when they search for their food products, but inflationary pressures have impacted how companies can deliver on these demands. How does Red's All Natural go about it? Well, we have Red's All Natural founder Michael Adair and City National Bank's Jennifer Brash with us to discuss all of this and more on this episode of the Food Institute podcast coming at you right now. all right, so to start us off today, I did want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of today's episode, and that is City National Bank. If you've been listening to the Food Institute podcast, you've likely heard of CNB before, but they provide banking, investment, and trust services. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about CNB, I really urge you to take a look at the description of this episode, or you can visit them at cnb.com slash food and Bev. all right, and with that out of the way, welcome to the show, Mike. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to found Red's All Natural, and why you chose the name Red's in the first place.
1: Sure, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, Excited to be here. So, um, yeah, my name is Mike Adair. I'm the founder of Reds. It's been um, founded the business 14 years ago. And um, I guess it kind of happened by accident. I had had a former career in finance when I was uh, finished school uh, and did that for six years, working my butt off. Um, It was a fantastic learning experience. Um, Got a great education and how to. uh, grow up and, and how to work in the world and, um, and ultimately woke up one day and realized that there's got to be more to life than selling mutual funds and uh, never in a billion years did I think that would lead me to uh, to the food industry and selling burritos and breakfast sandwiches. But um, around that time, I adopted this great mutt and, uh, up in the, the Northwest in Seattle and um, he was kind of a mangy looking reddish color. And so I uh, unoriginally named him Red. And uh, so Red became the name of my dog. And uh, fast forward uh, a few months, we ended up heading off to business school and I got married and uh, my wife and I were thinking about starting a family. And uh, so a couple of things happened that all kind of led Reds to, to be one was um, I was, uh, you know, traveling through the woods in the, uh, the, the hills of New Hampshire trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And, um, you know, Red was always by my side. We were spending a lot of time together, having a lot of fun, you know, hiking and snowshoeing. And I was taking a lot of entrepreneurship classes in business school, Uh, really fell in love with the idea of starting a business. I don't really know why. Uh, I don't think uh, I knew too many entrepreneurs, so I don't think I understood how hard it would be. But, uh, But I ended up falling in love with consumer products goods. And for some reason, the idea of being behind the scenes, making a product that could you know, potentially have a little bit of a positive impact on, you know, at the time I was thinking dozens and uh, eventually became, you know, thousands and millions of people's lives on a day to day basis was just super intriguing to me. And, uh, you know, I started playing around with a bunch of ideas. But ultimately, my, you know, my wife, who was who was pregnant at the time, uh, is a fantastic cook. And she became really famous for this Tuesday night taco Tuesday meal, which Uh, obviously, you know, I was a huge fan of, and slowly but surely, our business school friends started, you know, kind of pining to get an invitation to Taco Tuesday, and we lived in uh, a trailer in the woods, and so we could really only have one other couple over at a time, and uh, I had a class project that was due uh, in a matter of days, and we were enjoying Taco Tuesday one night, and I kind of thought this is a, you know, kind of a perfect well balanced meal, super tasty, delicious, convenient, and I was, you know, kind of serendipitously looked at the dog and was like, "This, you know, this this is a great idea for a project. Let's, you know, make some tacos, burritos, and freeze them so that we can ultimately distribute them without kind of adding any uh, any of the bad ingredients, any preservatives or additives." And and uh, that became the class project, which uh, slowly but surely I just fell in love with the idea of it and um, have been obsessed with the idea of how do we make this product better and better and better uh, over the course of the last 14 years and innovate. And, um, but ultimately we were starting a family. And so, you know, the whole problem of finding really kind of good options in the grocery store ultimately was the problem I was trying to solve. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of found through Frozen, it was one of the best places and the technology in the Frozen industry had come so far that we could make effectively a home cooked meal And uh, flash freeze it, put it in a package, get it out uh, in your freezer and and uh, allow families like ours to enjoy it, um, you know, with without kind of compromising on any of the things that a lot of times people do when they're shopping in the grocery store. So that's how it all came about.
0: I love that story, and as a fellow hiker based out of the Northeast, definitely worse places you could go to try to figure out what your next steps (laughs) are in New Hampshire like that. Um, I do want to make an opportunity here, too, for Jennifer to come on. Uh, Jennifer, I know that you have worked with Reds in the past, but I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your team, and the partnership City National Bank has established with Reds.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Thank you. Appreciate being here today. Uh, I'm a managing director in the food and beverage group at City National, which is the U.S. Middle Market Lending Division of RBC. Uh, I've been food and beverage focused for about 12 years now, and I cover the Midwest. Um, our team works only with food and beverage clients. That's 100% of what we do. So we have 50-something relationships across the country and throughout the supply chain, now adding up to about $2 billion in total commitments. Um, our team is is spread out all over the U.S. There are about 30 of us in total, and we are all fully dedicated to the industry. I mentioned that RBC is our parent. They are one of the largest banks in North America with the strongest balance sheet of any of them, which is, which is a great place to be these days. Uh, but as it relates to REDS, we were introduced to REDS not quite a year ago in conjunction with a recapitalization and a partial ownership transition to Bonsk Group, which is a consumer-focused private equity group. Uh, We were struck by the the impressive growth that that Reds had experienced and and that they continue to experience. Also, uh, the on-trend nature of their clean label strategy, and of course, the, the great taste of their products. If something doesn't taste good, people won't keep buying it. Um, So we partnered with Stellis Capital. We have a great relationship with to provide the debt financing to help the transition happen. And we are working with Reds to provide a full suite of treasury management services as well.
0: Thank you for sharing that Jennifer. I think we'll definitely dive back in on some of the reasoning behind why Red's was a great partner for CNB, but I think right now it would be really useful for any of our audience that isn't already familiar with the brand if Mike you could take a little bit of time talking about some of your products. I know we've talked a little bit about the brand, but I was hoping we could start off with your signature frozen burrito line. What can you tell us about these?
1: As we were uh, evolving a taco into a burrito, we uh, you know realized there were a lot of challenges uh, you know with a, a taco being open-ended, and so you know, all we effectively did was was close the ends and turned it into a burrito, and um that was the the original product line uh, that my wife made was was a turkey-based ground turkey, uh, and it was kind of a little bit different every week, and it was a big old massive taco slash burrito that was you know eleven ounces. Kind of coincidentally, eleven was my lucky number, so the first. Our first introduction into the the frozen world were with 11 ounce burritos. We had a, a line of, you know, of big hearty, uh, you know, turkey. We had steak, we had chicken and we had a veggie option. And, um, you know, I started getting into the the frozen aisles of, you know, all the local grocery stores, you know, doing demo after demo after demo trying to learn and understand what people wanted, what they liked, what they didn't like, and, um, you know, how the whole distribution and manufacturing aspects of the business work. And it was uh, it was an amazing journey experience. Uh, And one of the things that we learned in the first few years was, you know, a, a really kind of big, hearty burrito in the frozen section is a little bit daunting from a price point and so although you know in the qsr world uh, a lot of chains are very successful selling big burritos and in the frozen aisle, um you know we we decided to make a bit of a pivot to be more approachable from you know price point and, and size right so committing to a five ounce burrito is it's a lot easier than it is committing to an 11 ounce burrito and uh it also um you know it, it gave us the opportunity to be you know a little bit more convenient uh, and also, you know, give people the option to have a snack or, you know, eat a couple of them for more of a meal. And so we kind of focused for the first next handful of years in in the snack category, which, you know, we could kind of define it as the snack category. But it's, you know, similar flavor profiles of chicken and steak. And, you know, we've got uh, organic bean and cheese and we've we've got some started uh, innovating with a bunch of fun flavor profiles of, uh, you know, we've got an organic street corn. We've got a chicken cilantro lime. We've got a Philly cheese steak, an organic cheese quesadilla burrito, which is uh, we've had a lot of fun with that one. And we uh, we started developing a really good reputation for delivering, you know, high quality products, and customers started buying, and you know, and, and buying again and again. And so we slowly kind of found ourselves, um, you know, surviving another day, another week, another month, and and then we um, you know we started introducing. You know, we love breakfast and breakfast burritos, and so we kind of accidentally stumbled into the breakfast category through the launch of, you know, a couple breakfast burritos. Our first ones were turkey sausage and Canadian bacon, and uh, what happened accidentally was that a bunch of retailers started putting them in the breakfast section. We were like, oh my gosh, those those need to sit next to the burritos, and. They were like, well, they're, they're breakfast items, so we're going to merchandise them in a different section. And it ended up being one of the best things that happened to us because then we kind of accidentally had a, a business in two different parts of the grocery store. Uh, and so we had a snack business that was, you know, growing and evolving over in the snack section. And then we had a breakfast business that was uh, started to grow and evolve in the breakfast section. And then, you know, through those two different categories, we started being able to, to grow and innovate um across two different platforms which has been um you know a really fun exciting thing for us over the course of the last you know 6 7 years and moving into um very similar but yet different categories right so we moved from burritos into breakfast sandwiches because they felt you know very much similar which is we were able to deliver something that we thought was was really delicious uh but it also was very convenient similar to the burritos that we were offering and uh, and also we were able to do it, you know, in the same kind of quality ingredients with clean label. All of our, you know, we were able to develop and uh, find really good suppliers on uh, organic and cage-free eggs, and um, you know, a non-GMO clean-label bread, and and uh, antibiotic and hormone-free meats, and RBST-free cheeses, and the whole nine yards. So it's um, it's kind of happened uh, accidentally, but um, it's you know, now we've got probably. Uh, 11 or 12 snack varieties um, with some other kind of innovation coming into that world. And then we've got probably uh, 11 or 12 items in the breakfast section as well.
0: And I'd like to dive into that a little bit more because one of the things I noticed doing my research, you know, between your breakfast and more traditional burritos, it really seems you run the gamut and you did bring up a couple of the varieties there, but you know, you have plant-based options. you got steak, you have eggs. Yeah. You know, like you said, you're in two channels in the same freezer case, right? You're in the breakfast spot and also in the snack spot. I'm wondering what helps you determine which offerings to put together. I know you said at the beginning, your wife was really, you know, the driving force behind the original ones. Is she still involved? Do you have a bigger R and D team? Like, how do you decide which, uh, you know, set of ingredients is the one you want to focus on and try to launch next?
1: Yeah, it's, um, so it's, it's a f- fantastic question, and we could probably talk about that one for the next two or three hours, but uh, we'll try and hit the highlights, which is, uh, one, my my wife is um, pretty much since that original recipe uh, has been on the sidelines being a great supporter, but has not been involved in the business um, really much at all. She's, you know, she's a nurse. Um, she's an incredible nurse, and so that's been her primary focus. We've also had three kids, and so we've been... Kind of tag teaming, being parents and and working, and um, she does have a really really good palate, and so you know whenever we're kind of launching or innovating, we're always bringing stuff home for for her to try, and she's not shy of opinions. Um, but she is, you know the idea of starting a food company uh, was was terrifying to her, and she couldn't understand how I could you know take on that risk, and so uh, she's definitely has has not been involved, but again been been an amazing supporter from the sidelines. So at this point from an innovation, we've got uh, we've got arguably one of the best chefs in the world who is who's from Sinaloa, Mexico, uh, and has been in the food industry for 40 years, opening restaurants, um, all sorts of different cuisines. You know, so he's done a lot of Mexican, but he's done high end steak restaurants and he's done Italian. He's done, you know, he's done Asian. He's done a little bit of everything. And so he's seen it all from the restaurant world. Um, And also, you know, from obviously how the, you know, what ingredients are available, what's on trends, you know, really good suppliers who make, you know, fantastic different versions of whether it's carnitas or steak or uh, whatever the item is. And so, and then we've got kind of our, you know, our team of, you know, sales and marketing folks and, and we, you know. And then we've got all people around, you know, our consumers and our, you know, our families and friends and people like yourselves who are who are not shy of offering a lot of opinions. And what we try and do is we we take all of the information from you know all the different uh, you know all the different places where they're coming from, from consumers to our suppliers to you name it, and we start kind of boiling down it or what are the, you know, what are the. What are the items that we really want to focus on that we think we can deliver the best product? You know, what are what are consumers really going to love? What are they going to want? What are they going to buy? Um, You know, and then ultimately what's got enough scale to really to to, you know, be successful within the slot? Because, you know, in the grocery store, uh, particularly in Frozen, every one of those, you know, every one of those items is really, really valuable shelf space. And so you've got to be able to launch items that, you know, that perform really well so that, you know, they maintain and grow the shelf space. And so we've had to be, of course, we've made a million bad decisions or mistakes over the years, but we've learned from those. And we've you know, been doing this day in, day out for 14 years. And so we, we kind of have, a, I, I think, a much better understanding of what are the items that uh, the items, the flavor profiles, the nutritional um, you know, profile that ultimately consumers are looking for. And uh, that's kind of how we've slowly but surely funneled our innovation pipeline down into the launches that we've done uh, you know, in the more recent years.
0: And I'd love to talk about the breakfast sandwiches that Red's puts out. And I'd love to hear about the egg, Witch specifically, and I know Costco had a role in its development and growth too. So I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that since we were just talking about, you know, trying to grow that space, you know, now you're trying to grow into another retailer here. What was that dynamic like?
1: Yeah. So one of the, uh, one of the key parties that I left out from an innovation perspective are our buy, you know, our buyers uh, and our retail partners. And so We've got, um, you know, over the years, we've developed a lot of really good relationships with a lot of good retailers and, and some more than others really want to partner with you on innovation. And some of them are really good at it and have really good ideas. And sometimes, you know, they don't. But um, we love, you know, partnering with, you know, our retailers to because they know their customers better than we do. And ultimately, if they can, you know, they've got a need or they've got a, an idea, um, you know, being able to develop it with them, being able to move fast uh, and deliver on a really high quality item, you know, it deepens that relationship. And ultimately, um, you know, they can take ownership over an item. And uh, and so when you can deliver that and it's a su- successful item, you know, it ends up really deepening the relationship with your retail partners. And um, that has been one of the most fun pieces of doing this over the last 14 years, you know, some of the relationships we've built at, it, built it, you know, at different retail partners over, over time has, has, been a lot of fun. Um, but ultimately this was, you know, the, the, the egg, which came from, uh, you know, we had a, uh, we, we, we had a really good partner, uh, one of our buyers that, you know, said this, this happened to be a Costco buyer who said, I, uh, you know, I really want a Red's breakfast sandwich and, uh, you know, I want it to be super delicious, clean label, convenient, blah, 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 all the things that we stand for. And I started rolling my eyes being like, oh, my gosh, breakfast sandwich like that. We don't do any of that right now. You know, Jimmy Dean's got like an 80 or 90 percent market share. Do we really want to go down this path? And um, but this particular buyer was, you know, is very uh, strong willed and ultimately is going to get what what he wants. And and so we we set off for the next six months trying to figure out how do we make the you know, the what we feel is the best Possible breakfast sandwich um, you know on the market, from the quality and ingredients to you know the different flavor profiles and then the convenience of you know being able to cook and reheat it and all of the important things that we had figured out over the years in the burrito making and we were really struggling to find the right bread and you know after about six months, I just got frustrated uh, coincidentally, this also happened to be on a Tuesday. And just put the two, we had developed these amazing egg patties and amazing meat patty and the perfect, you know, thickness, size uh, of, of cheese, American cheese. We'd kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out, find suppliers that would develop uh, and supply us with a clean label American cheese. And so I just put the egg patties on the outside of uh, the meat and the cheese and you know, put a paper towel around it, put it in the microwave. And all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, this is this is one of the best items that we've ever, I've ever tasted. And so we, it happened by accident. We ended up getting in front of the buyer and he was like, this isn't what I asked for, but I absolutely love it. Uh, let's, you know, let's come, come up with some pricing and a pack size and let's get it in front of the customer and see what they think. And um, we, we did that and it was, was a very successful item out of the gate and uh, we've had a lot of fun with it. And since then we have since, uh, or excuse me, since then we have found uh, an amazing, amazing bread uh in fact a number of them at this point but so now we're kind of branching out that product line to you know to have different flavor profiles and be able to have bread options which are you know really really delicious and tasty and so it's been kind of a crazy journey going down the breakfast sandwich path but it's been a lot of fun and i think we're doing a pretty good job at it so far
0: it's a really interesting story um and you know we're talking going through the entire product line here right so we're talking about the I guess, more traditional burritos, the breakfast burritos, the egg, what other products do you guys sell?
1: So we have um, we have, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we failed at a lot of things. Right. So ultimately, we failed at big burritos. We were in the entree business for a number of years and didn't have a lot of success in that category. And the, the thing that we kept coming back to is everything we made was delicious. Everything we made was clean label. Um, but it seemed as if our niche was always in the convenience. So every time we launched something, you know, that met all three criteria, which is, you know, delicious, clean label and convenient, we seem to have a ton of success. And so we've kind of really stuck to those being our, our North star for the last handful of years. And it's helped provide a lot of kind of guidance and filter out a lot of the noise for us in regards to innovation. And so, um, in the last handful of months uh you know i kind of mentioned that we were in love with this bread so much that we have uh, our head of operations andrea brain is is constantly brainstorming about different ideas and she uh a lot of times uh, will over the weekends will make lots of different items for her family uh with various ingredients that we already have and so she was making two different things that we have just launched uh one is a, is a breakfast pizza so she was basically taking one half of our bread right for a breaded breakfast sandwich which is it's basically like a little artisan English muffin and so it's uh, she was putting cheese sauce scrambled eggs a little bit of cheese and turkey sausage and and you know putting them in the air fryer and heating them up for her kids and there was like just a massive hit so we um, slowly but surely she convinced me that that you know could be a good idea and so we have uh, you know Chef Pepe and I kind of played around with the recipe and, and we felt like we got it really dialed in. And that item actually just hit the market at Sprouts in the last month or so. And then one other one that we are super excited about, uh, and again, started the virtually the same way, is she started making um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with that same bread, freezing them and sending them to school with her kids. And you know, she kept trying to convince me that we needed to do our version, a Red's version, um, you know, of a of a frozen peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that sounds crazy!" Um, but after about a year, she she did win out, and uh, we spent the next you know four or five months finding the absolute best you know clean label, natural, organic uh, version of peanut butter, jelly, jam, uh, and finding the the perfect balance of peanut butter and jelly on um uh, and you know and then freezing them and and thawing them out and. Next thing you know, her kids, my kids, basically everyone in the office is, you know, was eating them or so, uh, it kind of took on a life of its own. And we actually have, um, have since gone into the frozen peanut butter and jelly sandwich business in the last six weeks. Um, so those are also have hit the, um, have hit the shell that sprouts, uh, and they are, uh, it's again, very new, but. And they'll be kind of hitting the shelves at some more retailers over the course of the, you know, later on in the year. But we now they fit the profile of of what success looks like to us, uh, which is, you know, they were they were super delicious. They were clean label and they were convenient. Um, and so now we're uh, we've kind of broadened the portfolio into you know, in our world, we, we still think that those, you know, one of those items fits in the breakfast section and logically sits right near our other items. And then, you know, the peanut butter and jelly item sits in the snack section and logically sits near our other items. And so to us, it made a lot of sense to venture out into to those categories. Um, TBD on whether or not, you know, a lot of people buy them, but we've checked all the boxes from my perspective, which is, I think we've launched a really, really great item that I think people, families are just, are going to love and hopefully they buy a lot of them. But if not, you know, we don't have any regrets. It's uh, We still developed a good item that uh, we're super proud of.
0: And Mike, really, thank you for sharing all of that. I think we did a great job kind of going through what the company sells and, you know, some of the history there. But I would like to turn back to Jennifer. Um, you know, in speaking before the show, Jen, we did talk about how the frozen foods category has really changed over the last few years since the pandemic, I'm not sure any other category, maybe plant-based, had a better glow up, right? And it does seem to have some stickiness to it. Um, So I'm wondering if you could tell us what your team saw at the beginning of the pandemic when it came to frozen foods and how that's kind of stuck over the last three years.
2: Yes, definitely. Um, So frozen food, as you mentioned, experienced a bit of a resurgence at the beginning of the pandemic. I suppose for, for obvious reasons, people wanted to minimized their trips to the grocery store and they they didn't want food spoiling. So frozen food was a great option. Um, and as consumers walked the frozen aisle, I think many of them realized that the options were a lot better than, than what they expected to see. Um, you know, there was a, a period of time where frozen food had somewhat of a stigma, per, perhaps rightfully so, that it was loaded with preservatives and sodium and and generally not very healthy. And I'm not saying you can't still find things like that, but a lot of the alternatives were different from and healthier than consumers thought they would find. Um, And from a a slightly different angle, this was a time where we were trapped in our homes and looking for sources of comfort and frozen food was able to provide that as well. Um, My family actually made a habit of sending soft pretzels from Milwaukee Pretzel Company to our loved ones, which was such a fun surprise to get in the mail in the midst of everything that was going on and, and so delicious. So from 2019 or, or pre-pandemic to 2022, frozen food sales increased from about 50 billion to over 72 million, right? Big jump. And then as we got further into the pandemic and started to resume some of our normal day-to-day activities and a fuller schedule. We didn't have as much time to cook from scratch as we had when the world was closed and there was no place to go, nothing to do. So then frozen food gave us convenient options that could could go from the freezer to the oven or the microwave and provide meals or snacks in, in minutes, frankly, when we needed that efficiency. Um, and if you add to that the, the shift in demographics that the U.S. had been experiencing, with the increase in working women who don't have the time, as well as single-person households who don't want to cook for one person, um, and the other the other dynamic is that as restaurants reopened more slowly than the rest of the world, ready to ready to eat heat frozen food, in some cases conveniently provided variety that we were craving at the time through ethnic offerings and, and also permissible indulgences that continued to provide us comfort uh, and sometimes portion control, which can be a double-edged sword. Um, permis- permissible indulgences is, is a COVID habit that definitely stuck. You can ask anyone in the confectionery space. Uh, if you look at frozen ice cream novelties, for example, they have grown in recent years a lot more quickly than say packaged tubs of ice cream, partly due to the that they can provide and partly due to just the, the ease of their single serve nature. Um, and one more point is just the pervasiveness of the, the different diets that have expanded and, and frozen meals can be vegan or gluten-free or, or keto. Um, the, the Red's Egg, Eggwich is a great example of that last one um, and still be, be very convenient in, in addition to meeting the dietary needs.
0: And one of the things that really you know, becomes apparent to me as well as in the current inflationary environment. I think personally, frozen foods has a, you know, leg up as well. So they kind of went through these two transformational periods uh, over the last 10 years. And it seems like it is still going to be doing well. So I'm wondering, you know, from the city national bank side here, what do you see when you take a look at the frozen food category in the current day? Do you see that it's still tracking up? Do you see that it's still meeting a lot of those consumer needs? Could you explain your viewpoint on that?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, Inflation has been, you know, the story of the day for a while. And overall inflation numbers are moderating, but food inflation isn't coming down quite as quickly. Um, And then you add to that the, the termination of the supplemental SNAP benefits that ended this February. Those household budgets were slashed by, I think, around $30 billion a year. Um, just from the 35 states that that waited and ended it this February, as opposed to those that had already done so. So consumers, I think now more than they have in a long time, are looking to make the most of their grocery budget. Um, Dollar sales of private label label products for the first six months of this year were up 8.2%. And while units were down a half a percent, national brand units were down 3.4. So private label is taking share, which is another indication of, of a stretch budget, right? The American Frozen Food Institute did a study and learned that 80% of consumers look to frozen foods to reduce waste and, and to save money. So frozen food can be a great source of value. Uh, one, as we talked about, it has a longer shelf life. Um, every year, the average American throws away $1,300 in food that ends up as waste. And then there's the environmental impact of that, which could probably be a a whole separate webinar. Um, Thawing as you need it will will minimize waste. Uh, You can also buy in bulk, which saves money. Club stores like Costco have made this easier for us. Um, And then uh, through a different channel, distribution wise, dollar stores have been adding frozen sections. Great source of reasonably priced foods. The, The CEO of Dollar Tree said on their last earnings call that they added frozen and refrigerated products in 3,500 stores in 2022, and that the average ticket more than doubled at those stores. So people are buying it. Frozen foods are also one of the categories that has seen the biggest increase in promotional activity this year. So um, that's another way that food manufacturers are are trying to keep prices down. Uh, And then the last thing I'll say as it relates to at home versus away from home is that inflation is incentivizing people to eat out less to keep costs down. So we're back to the the search for variety and convenience that we experienced in the pandemic, not because restaurants are closed, but because the cost of eating in them has has really gone up. Um, The CEO of Campbell's said recently that they are finding the magic number for dinner prep is 20 minutes. And for lunch, it's 10. That's what consumers are asking for. We are addicted to convenience. Um, And frozen fits into that perfectly.
0: So a lot of good things I could respond to there, Jennifer, but I do think the the relationship between, you know, not wasting food and also not wasting money is probably becoming more and more important for consumers. Um, I don't know if they were always directly in line, but the fact that we are seeing those pressures come together, to me, seems to really be propelling, you know, the overall frozen food industry, you know, in the last couple of years. Do you expect that to continue going forward? Do you think that there's something that could change that? Or do you think this is kind of on the rise and will continue for the foreseeable future?
2: I do think that it will continue. I think that, you know, to your point, it's uh, the confluence of a couple of different factors that have combined um, to help that trend sustain itself. Uh, But I I do see that continuing for the foreseeable future.
0: Mike, we were just talking about how consumers are looking for these products that are offering value, that they're convenient, and that they're better for you. And I'm wondering, from the red side, do you see any of these as being the most paramount when it comes to a consumer's choice?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think consumers want them all. And um, you know, and I know, I want them all, and so we are, um, you know, we're we're constantly kind of tugging on all three simultaneously. So there's there's, um, you know, the first one from a you know convenience perspective uh, is relatively straightforward. You know, we we want to develop an item that that's going to be that's going to be convenient to you know to cook. So you know, thankfully, one of the things that has happened over the course of the last. You know three to five years that's helped us tremendously is you know the um widespread adoption of like air fryers and all these great kind of reheating techniques that end up making the experience almost exponentially better than it's ever been and so you know we effectively are able to now deliver kind of more of a restaurant style um home cooked meal that is super easy and to, to to cook or reheat so that's making the convenience piece a lot easier the value one is um you know we want to provide the best vo- the best value we possibly can um and so the value in the and the the clean label piece are always the ones that are probably um you know pulling for attention you know more than the others because effectively we we won't compromise on you know the the kind of the core values of the the, the ingredients that we put into the, the the product and so ultimately from you we are developing, pushing, prodding all aspects of our supply chain to get, uh, you know, to get bigger and better and provide more value for, you know, the type of ingredients we think that consumers deserve. And so, you know, call it 50 or hundred years ago, basically everything grown was, was, was naturally grown or, or, you know, effectively what we call organic. Now it was just grown out of the ground and, uh, it was processed and eaten. Uh, and so over the course of, you know, time we decided we were too smart for mother nature and we started, you know, kind of developing um, process, you know, for farming or for uh, processing food that, you know, effectively started using all sorts of crazy additives and preservatives and um, and techniques and, and uh, fillers that, you know, really eroded what mother nature had it intended. And so we're doing absolutely anything and everything we can to, you know, to push and prod on the supply chain to, you know, and as we've gotten bigger, we're getting more and more buying power and we're partnering with more suppliers to try and get them to, you know, to broaden the supply chain so that we can provide, you know, the, uh, all of the the clean label aspects of what we do and we can do it at, you know, at a better and better value. So that's, that's been one of the, the constant struggles of the organization because ultimately people are price conscious. They don't want to, you know, we're trying to find the the spread of what people want versus you know what they're willing to pay for, and and we feel like our responsibility is to you know not compromise on any of that, but also to you know to push the supply chain uh, further and further so that we can uh, deliver on what we want to and do it at the best possible value. You know, I think ultimately our responsibility from from a costing is is to is to be the best in the world at what we do. So we need to be, you know, world-class in regards to efficiency of some manufacturing. Um, but ultimately we've got to continue to big, you know, broaden and, and push and broaden our supply chain to not compromise on any of the ingredients we want to put in the product, but, um, be able to, you know, to, to buy them as cost effectively and be able to pass that on to the consumer.
0: So Mike, Jennifer, I really want to thank you both for spending some time with us today on the Food Institute podcast. Mike, I'm wondering if our audience wants to learn anything more about Reds, where should they go?
1: Um, So, you know, learning anything about us, you can go to the website. Uh, You know, you can learn a lot about all the different offerings we have. We've got a place where you can go in and and ask questions. And I promise we've got human beings on the other end, actually looking at those, you know, all day, every day, responding to consumer questions, comments, thoughts. Um, So if you go to the the RedsAllNatural.com, uh, there's there's a, a customer service section where you can you know write us a note and uh, and ask kind of whatever question or comment you've got. Perfect, and we'll
0: definitely share a link in the description of the episode. And I'm also wondering, what stores can they go to find uh, the varieties that you guys are selling?
1: So uh, it depends where you know where people are, but in the southeast we've got you know we've we've got Sprouts has got a really good presence kind of uh, throughout much of the country. We've got. Um, you know, Publix and as you kind of go up in the the East Coast, we've got uh, products at Harris Teeter and then up in the the Northeast, you know, Stop and Shop in Hannaford. Uh, We've got a a ton of fantastic, you know, smaller natural organic markets throughout the country. We've got uh, throughout the Midwest, we've got a a good relationship with Kroger, um, Albertson Safeway out on the West Coast. Uh, And then we've also, you know, we've got um, most of the regions of Costco carry uh, something from Reds. We've also got a uh, a good business with Target and Walmart, and so you know we kind of cover the the geography for the most part nationally. Um, there are a few pockets here and there where we we don't have as good as a presence, but for the most part, uh, we've got a pretty good uh, pretty good offering out there.
0: Excellent. And Jen, I was wondering if anyone wants to learn more about City National Bank, where should they go?
2: They can go to our food and beverage team website, which is uh, CNB charlienationalbravocom backslash food and Bev. And you can see the the different products that we offer as well as some of our customer relationships there and the, the team's contact info as well.
0: All right. Excellent. And like I said, you can also find a link to that website in the description of this episode. Mike, Jennifer, I really want to thank you both for your time today. It was a really awesome conversation. So thank you again.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Great to be here.
0: And before we close up shop this week, I did want to send one more thank you to City National Bank for sponsoring this episode. But that's going to do it for us this time on the Food Institute Podcast. Until next time, this is Chris Campbell, signing off.